Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is part two of a nine-part series. This is the evening service of Sunday the 7th of June 2015, entitled Godly Motives for Ministry. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Here's Brother Gareth Green. 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 2. This is sermon number two in a series of nine, uh, Lord willing, uh, looking through the book of First Thessalonians. And tonight's sermon uh, is going to be very personal and very practical. Um, if you remember, our previous sermon, uh, number one in the series, was titled The Delivery and Effects of the Gospel. Uh, the main points we looked at uh, were that the gospel was delivered in power, in word, and in the Holy Ghost. Uh, and these were accompanied with assurance and the testimony of faithful believers. And the effects of the gospel were wide-reaching uh, in both present and a future sense. Now, after encouraging the believers in chapter 1, Paul then addresses uh, some accusations that were made against him uh, and also Silvanus and Timothy. Uh, and that is where we find uh, ourselves tonight, uh, studying that. Um, so yeah, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 to 12. I invite you to stand uh, to honor the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, the laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray now that you'd 
um, open up this word to us, uh, open up um, uh, your truth to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that these words would um, stay with us and they would change us and they would make us more like your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be pleased to use me um, uh, to, to speak your truth. Um, Lord, if there's anything different that you'd have me to speak that is not uh, already written down on um, on the script, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd um, uh, change that and, uh, yeah, that you'd have your way in uh, this, this worship service tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, in our passage today, as I said earlier, Paul defends himself and those that were with him from a number of accusations. And so what were these accusations? Well, based on the text, we can assume that Paul and his companions were being accused of having improper motives and seeking money and praise from men uh, rather than God. Although we do not have a list of these accusations, we can safely assume this because he seems to give a defense against these types of accusations in the text. So in this sermon, we are going to be looking at the following three questions. Uh, question number one, how does Paul defend himself? Question number two, why does Paul defend himself? And question number three, what does your ministry look like? So question number one, how does Paul defend himself? Paul is accused of having improper motives, and we can see that by the way that he denies uh, this claim in verses 1, 3, and 5. Let's read those again. So, uh, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. And then verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Verse 5, for neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. In verse 1, Paul says that the time he spent with the Thessalonians was not in vain. And vain can mean uh, lacking in value or hollow. In verse 3, his motives were not unclean or deceitful. Uh, and he did not try to conceal the truth. And in verse 5, Paul denies that he covered up his real motive of covetousness. And covetous, uh, covetousness can mean an excessive desire for wealth or possessions. Uh, there are also other accusations that Paul uh, denies. Let's read verses 4 to 6. But... Uh, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Uh, in verse 4, we see Paul denying that he was trying to please man. Um, and again, in verse 5, Paul denies trying to, to please man by using flattering words. 
And in verse 6, Paul denies that he was motivated uh, by receiving glory from other people. Here we see a picture uh, of what Paul and those that were with him were being accused of. Um, They were being described as people who prey on vulnerable people. Um, For example, our modern day equivalent might be um, a builder that knocks on your door and claims that you need roof work doing. Um, Maybe someone, one of those people that call you up claiming they have your details about an accident that you were involved in uh, a few months ago. Um, Or perhaps a a televangelist claiming that he can heal you and get your prayers answered in exchange for money. Now, these were all quite serious accusations, uh, especially to someone who the Bible says should be above reproach. So how does Paul respond to such serious accusations after firstly denying them? Well, to defend himself, Paul gives examples of how he lived, he and the others that were with him lived. Paul uses this to demonstrate his pure motives in verse 2, 4, 7, uh, and 9 to 11. Let's read those now. Uh, Verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. And then verse number seven. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. And then verse nine to 11. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children. So what Paul is saying here is that his actions prove that he was not motivated by personal gain. In verse 2, Paul reminds the Thessalonians about the shameful treatment they received at Philippi for sharing the gospel. Paul then uses this to show that uh, they were not expecting anything different when they came to Thessalonica to do the same thing. And so this is proof that they were not sharing the gospel because they thought um, they would get something out of it for themselves, like uh, money or praise. They had every reason to expect they would be shamefully treated here as well. So Paul further strengthens his argument by reminding them in verse 6 that despite laboring night and day for them, he and his companions worked because they did not want to be a burden to them financially. This shows that contrary to their accusers, Paul and his friends were motivated by the benefit of the church and the glory of God. And Paul also defends himself by reminding them of his parent-like behavior in verse 7. 
In verse 7, Paul likens his motives to that of a mother nursing her children. Paul spiritually nursed them and looked out for them in a sacrificial way. Verse 11 also gives a similar picture, but this time he likens his actions to that of a father raising his children. Paul and his companions did not use them or take advantage of them. They were instead motivated by the spiritual well-being of the Thessalonians. Paul claims that his motives for ministry were pure by appealing to the witness of God and to the witness of other believers. In verse 4, we see that God, knowing the heart motive of Paul and his friends, allowed them to share the gospel, and God continues trying them and is constantly up to date on their spiritual lives. God is witness to the true motives of their hearts. Paul also appeals to the witness uh, of the Thessalonians in verse 10, where he reminds them that his behavior was holy and just. Paul was not motivated by the praise of others. He was motivated by the praise of God. He was motivated by the desire to be in the will of God. So that's question one. Uh, question two, why does Paul defend himself? Paul uses his testimony as an example for godly living and exhorts the Thessalonians to live in the same way as him and his companions. Paul wants their ministry to have the same characteristics as his. So if you cast your mind back with me to chapter 1 and verse 5 from the first sermon, you may remember that we found that Paul and his companions guarded their testimony for the sake of the Thessalonians. Now, first and foremost, a Christian protects their testimony uh, for the glory of God, but, uh, but our godly testimony can also encourage uh, others around us uh, and cause them to praise God for what he is doing in us. So let's summarize all of these characteristics that we've just, uh, we just looked at. Um, so the characteristics of a godly ministry um, can include uh, not using flattering words or preying on vulnerable people. Uh, Paul and his companions, uh, their behavior was holy and just. Um, they were willing to endure shameful treatment. Uh, they willingly labored night and day uh, for the Thessalonians and they were not a burden unto them. They displayed a parent-like behavior, uh, both as a mother nursing her children uh, and a father encouraging uh, and instructing his children. Chapter 2, verse 8 says that he gave them his own soul. And that's quite strong language. Um, they were not motivated by personal gain, but instead were motivated by the spiritual well-being and growth of the Thessalonians. They were not motivated by a desire to be in the will of God. Sorry, they were motivated to be um, in the will of God and to please him. Both their actions and their motives were pure. So Paul has just defended himself and his friends from accusations and at the same time uses their example to encourage uh, the Thessalonians to live in the same way as them. 
And now the key sentence I want us to look at here is in verse 11 and 12. Uh, and it concludes our passage very well. And Paul brings it all back to one thing, the kingdom of God. So chapter number 2, verse 11 and 12. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So Paul exhorted uh, and comforted and charged them so that they would walk worthy of God because they are ambassadors of Christ. So question number three. Here's where it gets personal. And if I've lost you, uh, you lost your concentration, I just need 11 more minutes of your time. I've timed this, so yeah. <laughs> um, so question number three. What does your ministry look like? Here's where the, the rubber hits the road, as it were. The aim of this evening's sermon uh, is to encourage you to have godly motives for the ministries that you are involved in. So how can we apply this to our ministries, these things that we've just learned? What does this look like for you? The same characteristics that have marked Paul's ministry should be the same ones that mark our ministry as well. So that brings us back to question number three. What does your ministry look like? Or what is your ministry? What do you do to serve or add to the body of Christ? What do you do to bring others to Christ? Or what do you do to encourage and build up those that are already in Christ? Now, we should all have a ministry. We have all been given gifts to serve the body. None of us have an excuse not to serve in some way. Now, there is no list, there's no end to the list of ministries that you can be involved in. Uh, for example, uh, tea and coffee um, at the back, um, visiting people in their homes, uh, doing the flowers, um, cleaning, uh, doing the sound booth, uh, things like hospitality, um, and helping out on church work days. Um, I'm just going to briefly focus this evening on, uh, on three different ministries. Uh, children's ministry, one-on-one -on -one discipleship, and open-air evangelism. How do we apply the characteristics we have just studied uh, to these three different ministries? Now, of course, in whatever we do, uh, we should be behaving in a holy and just way, as we saw uh, Paul explaining. And also, our motivation for doing absolutely anything should be a desire to be in the will of God and to please him. So first, let's look at children's ministries. Firstly, um, are you serving in children's ministries as part of our church? Um, we are, I'm sure you, all of you know, we are so blessed to have the opportunity to have an impact in the lives of so many children for the sake of Christ. This is a ministry that we as a church are doing a great deal in. But some of those that are laboring in this ministry take on more than their fair share of this work. Is children's work a ministry that God wants you to be involved in? So how do we apply these things to children's ministry? When we are serving in children's church or in uh, the Sunday schools, um, 
we should be ready to perhaps endure disobedient children at times. We can labor for them in prayer, both before and after the lessons, possibly during as well. We can show a parent-like compassion, parent compassion for them uh, by listening to them uh, when they have problems or questions. Um, discipling them through, uh, sorry, disciplining them and encouraging them. So when serving in children's church, we should always be motivated by their spiritual growth. Uh, next, open-air evangelism. Open-air evangelism uh, is such an encouraging ministry because um, you can tangibly see seeds being sown. Um, you can count out the number of tracts that you've uh, handed out and trust God uh, to water and bring the increase in his time. Uh, but again, it is a ministry that some people are taking more than their fair share of the work. How does God want you to be a part of this ministry? So when we are serving in this way, um, out there on the outreaches in the city centre or the Fox and Goose in the shopping centre, um, we should be ready for a negative reception. Uh, just as uh, Paul and his friends were. Uh, we should be willing to share the gospel, even when we might be rejected. We should be laboring in prayer for the souls around us, and we should be motivated by the prospect of sinners uh, coming to Christ for forgiveness and having a personal relationship with him. Uh, finally, I want us to look at one-on-one -on -one discipleship. One-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship is something that I think is slightly lacking in our church, um, yet it is something that can be so fruitful. Um, personally, it's something that I've grown greatly through. Um, it's such a blessing thing, blessed thing to uh, think when a few believers sit down together, um, regardless of their spiritual maturity, and open up the Word of God and discuss and pray about a chapter, or maybe even just two or three verses that they've just read together. It's something that Jesus has commanded us to do, and it's something that Jesus did with his disciples himself. So let's be really practical uh, with what we mean by one-on-one -on -one discipleship. This can look like you meeting up once a week or once a fortnight with a younger believer uh, or Christian friends to go through a book of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, or it could look like a group of maybe three or four of you um, meeting up in a coffee shop uh, maybe once every month or so um, to read a chapter of a Christian book together and discuss it. God calls each of us to disciple uh, one another. So when you take part in these ministries, you should be willing to pray for those you are discipling. You should be willing to labor with them in explaining things and researching important questions that they may have asked. We should be willing to rearrange a study with a person that forgot that you'd arranged to meet up with them the previous week. Um, if we are more spiritually mature than those we are meeting up with, then we should have the compassion of parents by encouraging and uh, correcting and sharing wisdom and experience with them. And of course, we should be motivated by their spiritual well-being and growth. As I said earlier, there are many ministries that we can be involved in and that we can apply these principles to. 
um, again, more for the list, uh, welcoming people into church, into the worship services, um, raising our own children, that's a very important ministry, um, uh, giving people lists to church, um, and even uh, sending people you know, a text of uh, scripture as an encouragement. All of these things can, uh, we can apply these principles to. So if you don't take part in any ministry, uh, either church or personal, then you really need to look at the purpose of your life. Because you personally have been commanded by God to go out and make disciples. That is the purpose of your life. How are you doing that? How are you making disciples? Are you bringing the lost to Christ or building up other Christians? As you may know, in order to serve in the ministries of our church, you need to become a member. Maybe an even more fundamental question would be, why are you not a member of this church? Or why have you not submitted yourself for believers' baptism as Jesus commanded? So uh, let's recap. Remember, the aim of this evening's sermon has been to encourage you to have a godly motive, uh, to have godly motives for the ministries that you are involved in. Together, we looked at three questions. Question one, how does Paul defend himself? And the answer was by reminding them of his actions and motives. Question two, why does Paul defend himself? To encourage believers to live in the same way as him. And question three, what does your ministry look like? And only you can answer that question. And I encourage you to answer that question to yourself now. Do you have a ministry? And if so, is it filled with the actions and motives that Paul's ministry had? Now, when you serve, I want you to think, do you stand behind the cross or in front of the cross? Have you given anyone your soul as Paul did to the Thessalonians in verse 8? I want to encourage you to apply these principles to the ministries that you are involved in and also challenge you to pray if God would have you to serve in more, in less, or in different ministries. Now, God doesn't want you to do everything. God wants you to do something. What ministry does God want you involved in? And finally, as in the end of the last sermon, I want to encourage you to read through the book of First Thessalonians for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the many ministries that you've blessed this church with. We thank you, Lord, for the many opportunities that we have to uh, take part in uh, the ministry that you've uh, placed here in Birmingham. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to... Um, uh, build up other Christians through uh, children's church and things like that. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bring uh, non-Christians uh, into the fold, Lord, to, to share uh, the gospel. Um, Lord God, we pray that you continue to bless these ministries and uh, perhaps even to multiply them. Um, Lord God, we pray that you bring uh, more people into the church to, uh, to bear the burdens of these ministries, Lord, that you'd help us to... Um, uh, yeah, just understand exactly what it is you want us to do and help us to do what you want us to do wholeheartedly. I pray, Lord, that you'd um, yeah, help us to be committed to these ministries, help us to um, 
yeah, remember the purpose that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for um, the truth of the gospel and the many ways that you've um, uh, saw fit to allow it to, to spread through the various ministries that we've already mentioned. And, um, yeah, Lord, help us to um, yeah, take part in these things and to encourage other believers and uh, bring more to, uh, to know the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.